It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Wow. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there lay Jesus, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. That's how chapter 19 ends. We have Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea um, doing the burial propers and uh, taking care of what needed done to the body. In that time and day, they would wrap the body and put it in an eshuary, which is a tomb, in a cloth for a year. A year? A year. And after a year, then they would come and take it, because now it's just bones, and bury the bones. In, uh, in, from what I understand, in a, in a different uh, way. So this is what they had done, is they had taken those strips of linen, spices, etc. When they did the final burial, um, there were two cloths used. This is strips to anoint and hold the spices on the body. It's going to be a, about a year of decomposition. It's probably going to be a pretty rough smelling thing. And, they, and they're in a place that you can go into and look? They're in a tomb. Or getting ready to put them in a tomb. It's a cave. This one was a cave-like tomb. It hewn into a wall, a rock wall. And then they usually roll the stone in front of it where nobody can get in, right? Yes, this one in particular, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> this is what they did. Preparation Day, if you're familiar with Preparation Day... That is Friday, um, and Saturday being the Sabbath, they couldn't do anything. And also, because it was a high feast of Passover, and uh, the same season we're in right now, would have been a day where they had to get stuff done before sundown. And he died around three, so they had two hours or less to do all this. Okay. And, and get back and do their preparation for the next day. It was kind of a mess of what they were doing here, but the story, you see, is that there's a time frame because of Jewish custom. And all this falls in line with Scripture, and Scripture with their custom makes this thing fall in line with Scripture. And so they're doing everything they're doing, and it's fulfilling Scripture, but they don't know it. Oh, they don't know that they're doing it like it's supposed to be done. Right. For example, when... Um, when they crucified Christ, they were just trying to get rid of a, a person who was a troublemaker. They, weren't, they didn't know they were fulfilling Scripture. They thought they were doing themselves a favor and the temple a favor, but they were not. That's like the Apostle Paul when he was um, at the stoning of Stephen. He was a young man at the time, but he approved of it. He did not know at the time that he wasn't doing God's work. He thought he was. So, to did these folks think that this crucifixion of Christ was God's work? 
although they didn't do it for godly reasons. Now, chapter 20 starts like this. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark. That's why we do sunrise service, because of this lady. You can blame her. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting this up to her. (laughs) So Mary Magdalene, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and went into the tomb, and saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, that symbolism of that folded linen cloth, my wife shared this with me one time, is that when someone does that, they're expecting to come back. You don't make something up and place it there, without expectation of being back. And so his message was, I will be back, because it was folded, and he cared for it. And sometimes these things in Scripture that we read, but we don't understand what they mean, they just sound like nice sentiment. But it actually has a reason why he did that. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. So you see what's happening is Peter and John are at the tomb. Um, Peter goes in first after John gets there and looks around. Then John has enough courage to go in and believes. But then say what John believes. Just says he believes. So they go to their own home. But verse 11, this is where we pick it up. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? It's her beloved Jesus, of course. He had set her free from affliction, possession, and a life that was less than godly. Here's what she said. She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Somebody stole his body. They took him, and I've come to see him, and he's not here. Now, this statement may sound just like a, well, I just want to see his body, but it's not like that. This Mary, if you understand her history, was accustomed to failure, to disappointing people. So that's what she thought she did. Letting people down. Um, Being an outcast. Being someone that society didn't want a part of. So she thought, I'll go early before the sun even comes up to do the duty 
that I need to do for my Lord to show Him I love Him, and now she can't do it. He's not there. And she sees, I've come to do the thing to anoint Him and to show Him I love Him. I've anointed Him before. I want to anoint Him again. And I can't. Tell me where He is. I'll do it. Just tell me. I just want Him to know, even though He's gone, that I loved Him to the very end. Do you understand her situation is, I failed Him again. He was my hope. He gave me hope. And now I can't even thank Him properly. I can't give Him proper respect. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Obviously, she saw that he was dead. You don't expect to turn around three days after someone dies and, and see him. There they are. And in her tears and grief, it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Who do you seek? This is the question for our Easter. Who do you seek? What do you seek in life? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I will take care of him. I will do what I said I will do. He needs to know this. But she doesn't know she's talking to him, see? She does not know that the one she thinks that she's disappointed is the one standing right in front of her. Is the one who is seeing her love and compassion for him poured out. Do you understand? If she's um, anything other than serving and loving and giving, the next part's not going to happen. She still thinks he's the gardener. She doesn't know who it is. Get this. Jesus is out there by the tomb outside and Peter and John walk by him and don't see him thinking he's the gardener. They don't see him because they don't believe. She believed and loved him and wanted to do her thing for him. And Jesus has a couple things in his mind, I'm sure. He says, She's going to look all day for me if I don't tell her who I am. She's just going to keep looking and looking and looking. And the second thing he thinks is, she needs to know that I honor who she is. That she has not let me down and never can. And this is a difficult thing for us as believers is we cannot fail God and let him down. We can't, because God doesn't respond to us that way. He doesn't respond like, oh, you let me down, what's wrong with you? He doesn't look at us like that. We look at ourselves that way. Parents look at us that way. Other people look at us this way. And so she says, tell them where they've laid him, I will take him away. And Jesus says to her, Mary. That's all he says. Do you understand when God says your name, you don't have to question who's saying it? That voice sounds like no other voice. John 10 says, my sheep 
know my voice, and I call them by name. She had heard that before from Jesus. I'm sure that John 10, in that passage, he shared that story more than once. That there was a familiarity on her part with that story. But he knows them. How good is it to be known? Sometimes we go, people know me too well around here, you know, and it's a bad thing. But to be known, truly known by God, by Jesus Christ, is to know that everything we do, everything that we are, who we are, what makes us tick inside, and what we need to be even more gracious, loving, and Christ-like, He knows. (laughs) That is what He has for us. It is on this resurrection morning that that reality is first shown and shown to Mary. The one who struggled with that the most. Now you might say, well, that's just speculation. Speculation or not, we do know this. In that society, women were less than. They were property. That if she's telling this story, she has no credibility. And Jesus chooses the foolish in the weak of the world to shame the wise in the strong. To make those who are weak to be the strength of his resurrection power. This, as a lot of different commentators said, you do not put a woman as the first person to see Jesus unless you want to lose credibility. Or unless it's true. <laughs> There's no other way you're going to do that. Because women don't have witness power in that time and culture. They cannot witness. It has to be a man. Don't ask me why they did that. I don't know. But they were nothing more than second class citizens. And unfortunately. So here she is. Can't find his body. Loves him. He was her hope was the one that brought her out of the mire and mud of her life into respectability and believing in herself and her to believe in someone who knew her well. She was there for most of his ministry. If you look through the Gospels, you'll see that. And she knows his voice. But she doesn't know his voice without her name. We can see God roar on the heights But if it's not a personal revelation to us, that's a distant sound. And if we don't know that God is doing something in that moment specifically for us, we don't hear his voice call our name. Sometimes God will put something right in your path, like a verse from scripture, right the right time. That's him calling your name, saying, I've done this for you. Other people may have heard it, but you know for sure it's for you that God did that in that moment. There are many, many people who can testify to different times God's done that. I'm one of them, and I've heard many others. In this moment, Mary needs to know that she matters, that she hasn't failed, and that she's not going back to the way things used to be before Christ came in. Without resurrection, 
If Christ comes in, we're still going back to the way we were. Because there's no change. There's no difference. The scripture in 1 Corinthians, it says, we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. doesn't happen. We'll all stay the same. <laughs> we'll all be dead. Without resurrection. And so Mary's thinking he is the gardener, and he says, Mary. Now, there's something pretty neat about that exchange when he says that. Because Mary has a special name for him. The word is Rabbinai, teacher, master, Lord. But it wasn't like you would think he would say, Mary, she'd go, teacher. It wasn't like that. It was a special way of communicating between them. He would say it a little different to her. Her name would have come off of his mouth a little more sweeter. Not like with this stain, like Mary. But Mary. He would rejoice when he said her name. God rejoices when he says your name. He likes it. He knows your name. He says it with a song. Katia. God sings your name with the joy in his heart when he says it. It makes him joyous. He brings his joy into the way he says your name. And so when they would do this previously, it wasn't, hello, Mary. Well, hello, Rabbi Jesus. It wasn't like that. It was, Mary. And she'd go, Rabbi. And sing his name back. Because she loved him. And wanted to show him through the same type of joy that he brought to her. So he doesn't just say Mary. After all, he's just talking in a regular voice, you know. What are you looking for? Why are you weeping? And he goes, Mary. With her rejoicing. And what does she do? It says, she turns. Has not been looking at him. And says to him, Rabbi, and sings his name back. It's the only person in this world who honored her that way. And she looks at him, and it doesn't say this, <laughs> but we know this from what Jesus says. Next, he says, don't hang on to me. Come on, she's doing the tackle hug promise. She is doing the tackle hug. She is. Whoa! Oh! Oh! It's you! It's you! It's you! It's you! It's you! It's you. Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. And he's not saying, don't touch me. He's saying, don't cling to me. I've got to go to my father. But go to my brothers. You're the first. And say to them, I'm going to my father and your father. I'm going to my God and your God. You see, in that moment, history changed. <clears throat> she went from being someone who failing a task to being the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. There is nobody else in history that can have that claim but her. She is anointed special now. And it's because of that relationship she has with him, 
that he can entrust her with that because she came to serve him and do her friend love duty to pay her respects and anoint him again. He wouldn't have done that if she didn't love him. But she did. And he did that because he loved her and knew the rest of her days. Imagine this. On those dark days, when we get low and miserable, and we go, wonder where God is, wonder where God is, she can say, He knows my name. I will sing His mouth with my mouth, the praise of His holy name on my lips. And every time she'd feel low, she could sing out, Rabbi, and be joyous. Because she knew that whatever she was going through, Jesus Christ could defeat it. He defeated death. And this fulfillment of prophecy, this fulfillment of scripture, happened approximately at the time we're standing and sitting here. So what better way to start an Easter than to say God knows your name. And when he says it, there's a song in his heart. And when you hear it, you know it's a name he loves to say. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is alive. He knows your name. And he created this beautiful day so you would sing his back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so, so blessed, so amazed that you took one of the persons in this world who the world called foolish, <laughs> not even worth time. And we come to thank you for that relationship you had with her. Not because you had that relationship with her, but because sometimes we feel like she did. And you said you have that relationship with us too. And we get hope because we know you sing our name. And when you announce your name to your Father, Lord Jesus, and when you announce our names to him, there's a joy in your heart. That's my son. That's my brother. That's my sister. And I love them so much, I sing them before my Father. So, Heavenly Father, remind us this day, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that there's nothing that can defeat the love that you have for us. Nothing can come between the love that you have for us as we found in Christ Jesus. Not death, not height, not principality, not power, not beings and to come, not angel nor demon, not death, nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Nothing can change that, take it away, because we belong to him. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for resurrecting and bringing us into that relationship. May we have a song in our heart, even on the dark days. And that song be this. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you. Amen. See you in a little bit. Yep. <laughs>